Hi, you're listening to Overtired on ESN with Christina Warren and Brett Terpstra. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a spiel this week. Objective C to OC, Swift to Taylor Swift. That was good, but how's it going, Christina? <laughs> it, it was good. I know you're like you're like over it. I'm still saying it every <laughs> single week because I I, I care. Um, Brett's like I'm done with this. Um, I just want to say the OC anytime I can. I'm good. I'm good. How are you, birthday boy? I'm I'm old. I'm old. You're not old. I'm getting a haircut today because that makes gray hair go away, right? <laughs> basically. Basically. Something like that. Do you that. have any gray hair? I don't. My sister is like six years younger than me and she's going silver fast. It's a family thing. Yeah, no. So I have about three years um, if I follow my mother's history before I start going gray, which I'm freaked out about because I, I don't want to have to start getting, I will get my hair done. Like I will get my roots done and everything done. Like very like matter of factly. Um, but my hope is that maybe I will take after, not after my mother, but after her mother. And if that's the case, then I'm good until I'm like 90. I know baldness is supposed to skip a generation, but I don't know how grayness goes. Yeah. She inherited it from her father. And her father went white, like, super early. Yeah, both um, of my grandfathers did. My dad's just now getting, like, those, like, cool temple gray. Of course, he doesn't have any hair left on top. But Right, yeah, my dad is, is getting gray now, but it took him, I mean, he's, he just, he turned 70 recently. It took him well into his 50s. So <laughs> if I took after him, that would actually not be a bad thing either. And then his mother and his grandmother both were, like, natural redheads until they died. Redheads? Yeah. Are you are you naturally brunette? I am. My my okay. hair color that you've seen is my natural color. It is that I'm glad dark. Glad to hear that. Yeah. It'd be weird if you were a redhead and you dyed your hair brown. Because it would be weird. Yeah, I have redhead a, is like it's like special. It is exactly no. I have a red undertones, and what I found out about that is because I have natural red undertones. I have natural red highlights. When I got red highlights in my hair when I was uh, eighteen, um, the chemical reaction fused and it turned pink, and it was terrible. And but it wasn't like a cool pink. It was like I, you know, got my hair highlighted <laughs> and it was it looked fine in the chair and then it settled and it was not okay. And I had to go like back. Like old woman bad perm pink. Basically. And it, it was kind of a rusty pink. It was not a good color. And I was freaking out and I went back to get my hair done and I was in the, the chair for like three hours because they didn't want to ruin my hair. So I was they were having to, you know, time after time they were having to basically put in like um different colors to 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 bring down the redness and, and it made it kind of this blonde color. It ended up looking really good, the highlights, but that one instance, I was like, I'm never getting my hair dyed again. We have had very different lives. Yeah. I was, see. At that age, I was, I would bleach my hair with peroxide and oh then gosh. sometimes color it red or blue <laughs> until I shaved the mohawk in. I have been that was way before 18, though. I have been thinking about making my hair like, like doing like purple or, or blue tips. You know, kind of that's become kind of a fashionable thing to do, um, which is weird that like in my 30s, I'm finally looking at maybe experimenting with my hair. <laughs> Midlife crisis. Something like that. Something like that. Well, so um, we're just going to I mean, so so as we're recording this for, for people who don't know and haven't followed me or Brett on the Twitters, it is a it, it is a Terpster Day. International, apparently. Mm hmm. The nicest present I've gotten all day was uh, my friend Marina uh, made a donation to the ASPCA in my name. 
That's awesome. There's been this hilarious, like, people, uh, what's the Telegraph or something? It's like a crowdsourced news source. And someone did this long article on how the ASPCA was a bad thing. I won't go into details, but it was completely not fact-checked. And the comment stream went off the rails. Everyone's like, I hate the ASPCA, but I would like to set the record straight. And say that the ASPCA is an extremely responsible and valuable organization. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly support them. So, um, there are so many things going on right now, and we haven't, we haven't recorded for a while. But I, I, the first thing on my mind is this new Quip desktop app for Mac. It's so awesome. I talked to Brett Taylor, their uh, founder, about it, and it's awesome. So, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, we've talked about Quip before, and it's basically... You know, Google Docs that doesn't suck. It's collaborative document and spreadsheet editing that has all kinds of export modes and, and it's scriptable and it's really cool. Uh, but they have a Mac app now and it's really yeah. good. I, I, for me, like Quip was always open in a tab and I always had to find it. And just having a native app without, without like a fluid instance, that part is just awesome. And then having more native uh, like keyboard commands and everything. I don't even know if I've explored everything that the uh, the desktop version can do that would be better. Oh, shortcut keys for conversations and what? Oh, command shift D to go to desktop. Yeah. Can you export straight from this? You can. You can import. I believe you can export straight from it too. Well, I think you can export using like the web kind of. No. I mean, it's know- really, it's a wrapper, but. Well, it's kind of a wrapper, but it also is kind of native. I mean, so if you do Markdown, it'll, for instance, give you all the Markdown stuff and you can just command C. Yeah. Um, Did I, I don't know if we mentioned, but you, if you type a dash and a space. Oh, no, no, no. It's native export. If you do HTML, it's native. It's a native file. Oh, nice. Um, Well, I was like, uh, if you, if you type a dash and a space on a new line, it'll automatically begin like a rich text list for your bullet list. Mm-hmm. And it does a lot of stuff like that. Like you can type in Markdown and it'll just convert it. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Yeah, no, I mean, um, Brett told me that one of the big things that they wanted to do with this was that they kind of realized, you know, a lot of people, you know, you're on a plane or you're in another in- situation where, you know, you're working on something and you lose Internet access. And if you're working on a document, it sucks to have to, you know, try to use the HTML5 aspect of something. And because then how do you know your changes are going to sync? And, right. and how can you do things otherwise? And they felt like it was important to have that native experience. And what I've kind of done for that, to be honest, it's been weird. I've used their iPad or their, Ma- or their iOS app when I've needed to do that. Because um, I had an instance when I was on my way to WWDC, I had some interviews set up and I, I was going through my questions and some other things and you know the plane didn't have wi-fi or the wi-fi sucked and i couldn't use you know um the browser so i was using it on my ipad and it worked really well but i was even then thinking i was like you know it'd be great if this had um a, a desktop app and that's kind of the sort of thing they're wanting to do i mean because their idea was basically what if we could create a really solid first-class citizen desktop app that has all the features you want from the web, has all the collaboration built in, but you don't have to be connected to the internet and it doesn't have to have its own browser instance. And so, so it's, it's a better offline mode, basically. Basically. I assume it does local, local storage and then syncs. Yes. And nice. I asked him, I said, you know, how, how will this work? You know, if multiple people are editing things at one time and, and they, that's one of the things that they already are better about than Google anyway. And, and, and he said that and he's right. Cause we, we've definitely used it 
Um, but you know, they're going out of the way to really try to sync things the right way. And then obviously the big advantage with them is that you see the um, update. So if, if you and I overwrote the same thing, we would see that happen and could revert to one instance or another or, or make the changes as necessary, uh, which you can't really do with Google Docs. You know, you, if you're writing over the same thing, you're kind of screwed. Is it crazy that they have never sponsored us? It is crazy. It is crazy. Do- doesn't this sound like an ad? It does sound like an ad. So so seriously, uh, you, you guys should all like tweet at Quip and be like, I heard about Quip from Overtired and you should sponsor their podcast. Because uh, we're giving them free stuff. No, I mean, no. We, well, we they could just pay us in post. We could just send them a bill. And that's true. That's true. No, but 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 uh, this is not an ad, but I really love Quip. Um, one of the cool things, too, because it is a native app, you know, the, the notifications are all native. Like I said, when I do the PDF export or the other stuff, that's actually going through the system commands. And he says that in theory, like they haven't added any Automator specific stuff, but all the stuff you do with Automator or with scripts should work just fine because it is a native Mac app. Nice. So down the line, hopefully, and, uh, you know, you'll be able to do some of your cool scripting stuff with it. Um, <laughs> I already do. Cause I, they have I know a great you API. Do. Yeah, they have a great API. Exactly. And I, I mentioned that because I talked, I, I mentioned you specifically when I was talking to the other <laughs> Brett, I was like, so my friend Brett already does all kinds of stuff, but if you could do things from the desktop side, um, and then obviously, you know, the, the, the native key bindings and all that stuff. Um, no, but it's a solid app. It looks like it's just a web wrapper, but it's not. I mean, they actually built a native app. Um, and then they have a Windows version too, I believe. So, but they really focused on the Mac version um, because, you know, I think they understand their core market is probably Mac people. Nice. So the other thing that's been on my mind technology-wise, since we always seem to do tech and then pop. Yeah, that's, that's kind of our, our, our thing. App, I've, been, I've been using Apple Music as much as possible to get a feel for it for the last week or two now it's yeah been two weeks hasn't it yeah it's been a couple weeks what have you thought i still like i don't find it as accessible as spotify and i don't know if it's because you know i just have all these playlists and i know how to use spotify but i feel like you have to jump through hoops yeah to a certain extent to to a slightly greater extent than you do with spotify and that's keeping me from like using the playlist in my car. I just I keep starting to load up. I'm I'm peeking. My mic is peeking. Um, I'm starting to load up like uh, an Apple Music playlist and then giving up uh, just because I want to get going and don't want to fiddle with it. So I just end up listening to Spotify, which I'm hoping changes because I found an app called Stamp. That can actually, it uses accessibility features to read your Spotify playlist, search using the search field in iTunes, and add the result to, uh, to your music collection. So it can basically convert your Spotify playlist into iTunes or Apple Music playlists. Except it doesn't actually make the playlist. You have to then go right. like, group I, them by date. Right, which is annoying as I'll get out. To me, that's what ruins it. I, I saw that too. And I'm glad that there's a way to export your Spotify stuff into like a CSV and then bring it into Apple Music. I'm super glad that exists. It's fine for a smaller playlist, I think. It's not okay if you've got like a it humongous took, playlist. It took three hours of not being able to use my computer because it's, you know, it's actually hitting buttons in the app for you. Right. It, you actually kind of have to walk away from your computer until it's done, and it does because it's doing one song at a time, search, wait for iTunes to return results. So it's slow, and it's annoying to, like, I had, I think, 60 playlists with 
like 80 songs each um and it took forever and i didn't end up with nice neat playlists and that was annoying but i i like that i can now just grab the songs and drag them into playlists it's good enough for me it's not a perfect solution but it's good enough. I mean, it, it's certainly getting there. I'm still really enjoying a lot of the for you section. I find that if you, the more I use oh, yeah. Apple, the more I use Apple Music, the better it gets. And then their playlist recommendations are really good. So what I've I kind agree. of shifted to doing is going away from my playlists that I have in Spotify and trying to kind of, I guess, create new ones. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a lot of my playlists in Spotify are basically I do an artist search and then just select all and make a playlist of like everything an artist has streaming yeah um and those are easy to the genius you know, like using genius radio you can actually get way better yeah. playlists that way uh, totally i also think that if you look for a specific artist depending on who the artist is a lot of like the deep cuts and the you know intro to and the other stuff that they create that they're um you know people hand select they don't have everything but they'll do like an hour's worth of music which frankly is probably better than having everything I mean, sometimes I just want to listen to everything from an artist and, and, and I, 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 I hear that. But sometimes like if I'm doing like, you know, you want kind of a, a, a shorter, more palatable um, aspect to listening to somebody. And I found that like their deep cuts are typically, yeah, they're really deep cuts in their intro. They pick like the best songs, like it's a great greatest hits sort yeah. of thing. So even if it's an artist I'm intimately familiar with, like I really like the intro playlist because they've got really good stuff. Did you uh, listen to the Nine Inch Nails deep cuts? Yes. There's some good ones on there. Some, yeah. Some stuff, because I didn't, after like uh, Downward Spiral, I wasn't an avid listener. I like a lot of the ghost tracks I heard, but never, they weren't, you know, as poppy. They didn't stick in my head as much. But those deep cuts, like the iTunes curated version. Yes. Actually is very enjoyable. And I'm hearing stuff I hadn't heard before. That's and cool. Do you know who Joseph Arthur is? I do. I love Joseph Arthur. Me too. I actually, I met him uh, long before, uh, like, the creation or stain days uh, when he was just playing gigs in New York. And I, I met him by first name only in a place where only first names are used and didn't know who he was at the time. But then uh, uh, he started doing some amazing work. My wife can only listen to him for so long because she says his voice starts to, like, the kind of grady... Uh, grittiness of his voice gets to her. She likes very. She likes indie rock. Anyway, um, but he's I very love indie it. rock. I yeah, that's a it's a weird term to me. I don't really understand what indie rock is. But that aside, he put out very recently a uh, I should say within the last two years um, a, a album of nothing but Lou Reed covers. Yes, it's called Lou. It's really good. And I just found it thanks to Apple Music, and it is really good. It is really good. Yeah, no, I, I, I love Joseph Arthur. Um, Our Shadows Will Remain is one of my favorites. Redemption Sun. Um, his song In the Sun is like one of my all-time favorite songs. <laughs> they used that in Saved, didn't they? Yeah, they've used it in so many TV shows. And yeah. there's actually, there's a, uh, he did a um a version of that with Michael Stipe from R.E.M. for, I oh, think, that would for be Katrina. Good. I've, yeah, I've got it in iTunes someplace. And um, where they both sing it together. And it's really, really good. Um, I personally, if, if I were going to tell someone to go check out Joseph Arthur, the first song I would tell them to listen to is creation or a stain. Um, it is the most, it's exactly like being inside my head. It was so weird. The first time I heard it, it's off his first album. 
um it's it's amazing he's it's it's a stream of consciousness there's a guy in my head an angry little guy <laughs> punching on my skull i love it I've Very actually found time. a lot of new music thanks to those curated for you playlists and and been reintroduced to bands that I've always loved in ways that I didn't expect. So, yeah, that it has going for it. If they would make a default import CSV Spotify transi- transition, I think it would be really good for their business. I agree completely. Um, when I talked to them about it, they didn't seem like they cared. Which is a well, shame. Well, they don't have to, but no, they don't have to. But it would. But be Spotify really good. is significant in their. It is. You know, in that market. It is. I mean, I think that their goal. I, I, I'm assuming that their perspective is. We've got this much bigger untapped market, other than people who are already paying for Spotify. And if you think yeah. about it, it's a lot harder to convince people who are already ingrained and in paying for one service to come over to ours. I can so for instead, that. we've got to focus on people who aren't paying for anything, and we probably have a better <laughs> chance of getting them to pay than yeah, we do probably. convincing people who are already paying for Spotify to dump Spotify and pay. Yeah, but it seems like a CSV import option would be easy enough to, yeah, to pay for itself pretty quickly. I agree. And, and they, the, the, the thing is, they had um, a tool for, uh, for Beats Music, both from RDO and Spotify. So they've already got it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was third party though, right? Um, yeah, but they promoted the hell out of it. Like Ian <laughs> Rogers, like pointed it out to me when I when he was showing me Beats Music. Yeah, well, because that was the first thing I found when I went looking for a way to do it with Apple Music was all these uh, these Beats conversion tools, but they didn't exist for Apple Music. Nope. All right, and I will I will also tack on to the tech portion of this show that I have come to uh, rely on my Apple Watch more than I thought I would. I was going to say, so you've had yours now for a couple months. I've had mine for a couple months. Um, I still, it's mostly a notification tool. I don't use most of the third-party apps. I'm waiting for watchOS 2. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. But the thing, the fitness thing for me, which is not the reason I bought it. Same. Like, I didn't buy it with the intention of using it to get in better shape, but it has gotten me in better shape. I'm, I'm very... I, I just want to add a water, <laughs> how much hydration I get during just like, you know, how it tells me to stand up every hour. I wish it would just say, you know, drink, drink more. a glass of water right now. And then because I forget that and then I get like headachey and crabby and I don't know why. And speaking of, did I tell you? OK, this is not tech. This is Brett talking about his psychological problems. Let's get um, into it. Uh, they put me on Stratera. I'm completely off of all amphetamine stimulants now. Yeah, as have I been for a while, which is weird. It, I, I'm liking it a lot. A lot of the health problems I was having are gone. Uh, my mental state is more consistent because I'm also bipolar and stimulants mess with mood stabilizers. Um, so Stratera is working pretty well, but it's really... Like one day I'll be like too tired to do anything, sleep for like two hours in the middle of the day. And the next day I'll be like perfectly alert. And then it'll like drop me at, you know, exactly 5 p.m. And I'll have to sleep for like 30 minutes before I can move again. So I think I'm still adjusting to it. But he wouldn't give me, he wouldn't even consider pro vigil or new vigil because of potential liver problems when I'm already having potential liver problems. Right. But the first thing on the Stratera side effects list on the onion skin in the prescription when they hand it to you is may cause severe liver problems. So I don't fully understand the situation. But then 
they okay so they stuck me with a pa because all the psych all the psychiatrists at my hospital apparently just quit they just left so the only guy there is this pa from iowa who is not even subtly racist he's just racist and (laughs) i don't even know how the conversation ended up happening but he explained to me his fear of burkas and things like that and i'm like this is after i've stood up and i'm getting ready to go and suddenly i'm standing there listening to a conversation that i made very uncomfortable by waiting until he had finished his diatribe to tell him that my wife was indian (laughs) so i could watch him backpedal that's fantastic no i love that i was in a situation on uh earlier this week where i for a moment considered what it would be like to make national media news. I didn't do it. Wait, to it, be on national or to be no, no, to, to, to delivering? Make, to, to make, no, to make, a na- to, to make a story that would have gone viral on the internet for what I would have said on Fox Business News. Okay, so like basically what Trump does every day now? Sort of. So <laughs> I, was, I was on after there, there was an anchor who was on promoting her book and, and she, they were talking about the Caitlyn Jenner at the ESPYs thing. And yeah. Look, they were better than Neil Cavuto was. And, uh, you know, they, they were sort of respectful, but not really. She kept, me- she kept messing up the, the, the pronoun and kept referring to Caitlin as he. For about 50% of the, the, the talk, she kept calling, him, calling her he. And I understand that pronouns are hard, but this was almost seemed deliberate. And she was also seemed pissy about the fact that her husband and her son were at the ESPYs. And she seemed, well, well now this is a very difficult co- conversation for me as, you know, a parent. How do I explain to my child why oh, someone oh. who looks like, you know, who, who um, has, has a man's voice is wearing women's clothes? I'm like, first of all, step <laughs> off. I was listening to a, a, a grammar show on NPR today. And this guy had written in saying that he, he it wasn't grammar so much as like... Um, uh, like a Dear Abby kind of thing. I don't right. even know what show it was. But the guy had written in that uh, his, one of his friends had said that uh, Gosling was handsome. And then it had turned into this two-week kind of uncomfortability. Because the guy, did, he, was, he was hetero, but he sounded homosexual. And the guy was asking for advice on how you should say that a man is attractive if you're not gay. And... <laughs> They responded as if his friend was the problem. <laughs> but if you can't accept that someone else said that a man is handsome, then I think the, the problem actually lies. It's like explaining cross-dressing and transsexuality to a child. It's really pretty straightforward. Exactly. And, and transgender and saying, uh, no, she's a woman. Anyway, it had nothing to do with what I was talking about, which was Netflix. They ended the segment. <laughs> so I, I, I obviously wasn't going to opine. <laughs> and but I thought about it for a second. I, it went through my mind where I thought, what would happen if I just said, <laughs> I know we're supposed to be talking about Netflix, but I need to go back to say what what what, you know, X was just talking about. And I need to say, Caitlin is a woman. You kept using the, 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 the pronoun he and that's incorrect. And frankly, I think your son will be fine. And your son has bigger problems <laughs> than whether or not he sees Caitlyn Jenner getting the, um, you know, Arthur Ashe Award or Muhammad Ali Award or whatever the award was at the ESPYs. Um, I did not do that. Some people would call me a coward for that. Uh, I think that that's more like I didn't want to become a news story. 
I, I will admit that uh, with some of my transgender friends, I have had the pronoun issue, but it's almost always when they change their name to something unisex. If, yeah. they, if they have a feminine name like Caitlin, it's really easy for me to remember how they're identifying. Right. But if I'm talking about someone who, uh, and some of them, they don't, they don't go, they kind of uh, become asexual. Yes, I have, I have a couple of friends who don't like a gender at all and like to be known as they. Yeah. Or Z, Z and X have become, uh, instead of Mr., Mrs., Miss, they're actually using like Z to uh to kind of create a non-gender based uh way to address people right so that people don't have to be like uh addressing envelopes and trying to figure out <laughs> doctor and z i don't know it's a it's a it's a weird re- weird point in time where this is becoming an issue that the public is more aware of and they're learning how to deal with it and i understand oh totally. i understand the talk shows that are all overly curious about genitalia you know, like the first question they ask is, did you remove your penis? And, and I get that because it, at this point, you know, a lot of these people are just now having to uh, kind of acknowledge that this is being, you know, a, becoming a, a more common practice. And they're having to acknowledge the suicide rate among people that have up until now been completely more or less ignored by most of the population. And it's going to take some adjustment uh, to make this something that the public understands. Oh, totally. And my, and my, and to be clear, my issue was not with the fact that, that she got the pronouns incorrectly, but that she seemed to almost, I, I, I don't know, it, it seemed almost intentional and it seemed, I, I was more bothered by the fact that she seemed like the biggest concern was, was well, not, the- <laughs> was, was not what Caitlyn Jenner is going through, but how she would explain this to her son. Right. Well, yeah. And, and sometimes the confusion, if you make the confusion deliberate, you are making a statement that this is not something that you understand or want to. Right. And, and so, I mean, for, for many reasons, the, 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 this most central being, I frankly didn't want to turn into a media story myself where, I mean, I, it, it wouldn't have been a big deal if I never showed up on Fox Business again. That's fine. Um, but I didn't want it to become one of those things that goes viral. You know what I mean? Like I thought about it throughout, but like, oh, if I do this, this is going to be one of those moments that everybody's replaying on TV. And, and it's, you know, it'd be like when the um, news anchor said, fuck it, I quit on, on, on camera, <laughs> which was great. But like, my job is to report on other people is not to be the story. Yeah. And, and, and if I am going to make a name for myself someplace in media and, and I have higher media aspirations, it just didn't seem like it was the most um, smart thing to do. So I didn't because I'm not an idiot, but, um, but I thought about it. I am very curious how uh, Fox news is going to cover the, uh, the KKK rally in South Carolina yesterday. I'm sure that they're just not going to cover it. I kind of, I kind of imagine that it will just not come up. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just imagine that's one of those things. It's kind of like, you know, uh, yeah, I just imagine they won't cover it. Yeah, we won't go into that. but yeah. well, it's, that it's, was it's a not... disturbing stream of photos that came it really out. Of that. Was. I'm glad it didn't erupt into more than it did. Yeah, there were like four major skirmishes, but not a lot of, you know, gun battles. Yeah, no, it was pretty terrible, but. At the same time, it's important for people to know that this sort of thing still exists and that it exists in ways that are not just Reddit subforums. Right. Uh, I think it's also important for people to realize that there were a whole crap ton of people who just did not go outside that day. 
Like it was not like all of South, all, all of what was it, Charleston? Yeah. Like everyone like banded together and, and brought their Nazi flags to the Capitol. But it was just, it was a very loud minority group. Yeah, most definitely a minority. But I think that it's sometimes important for people to see that because oftentimes I think that we, because of the internet, become convinced that all the hate has kind of moved online and a lot of it has but when when that happens because even though the internet is such a central part of our lives i think we still have the the tendency to diminish its realness and so you can write off online hatred as people just trolling or people not being serious whereas even though that's not true and and obviously it, it, it can be every bit as real and every bit as hurtful but i think that we just have as a society have a tendency to write it off as not being as real Whereas when you see people actually storming the Capitol, you can't write that off as a teenager in their basement. You know, I mean, that, that's my favorite thing is where everybody loves to write off the trolls on the Internet as 14 year old boys. A, I think that that's kind of disrespectful to 14 year old boys. B, <laughs> um, no, most of these people are grown adults. And I yes. think the sooner and, and the sooner that we realize that and embrace the fact that these people are adults who have actually learned and have been raised a, a certain way, uh, the better. Uh, the, the, because, I mean, this has even happened to me when I remember when we were at TUAW and I would get, I remember once I wrote an op-ed, uh, uh, Mike Rose and I took opposing sides where iTunes um, only had like a 24-hour rental period for their movies and parents were complaining saying, oh, you know, it should be longer than 24 hours because as a parent, I, I don't have time ever. I don't have 24 hours. I don't have time, uh, two hours uninterrupted in a 24-hour period to watch this movie. So I need longer because I'm a parent. I recall this. And I was like, screw you. Like I was, I was <laughs> like, if you can't, I was like, if you can't find like whatever period of time to watch to rent your movie, you've got bigger problems frankly like at, this is not apple's responsibility like why I, would you rent a movie if you didn't have time to watch thank one? you and because once you start it you only have 24 hours to finish right. it and that's what people were complaining about and i was like yeah. i was like please get over yourselves and then all the anti-parents came after all, all the parents rather came after me because i took the anti-parent approach yeah and micro people took got the vehement Oh, they got so vehement. And Mike Rose stuck up for you, he defended did. you. He was fantastic about it. But remember, there was another guy that we worked with who on our email thread was like, oh, well, those were probably just teenagers. They were just kids <laughs> saying this stuff. And I was like, no, jackass. They were actually parents. They were your people. <laughs> they, some, one person who, who called me um, a bullheaded dyke whose um, father should have pulled out. I'll never forget that because that was really, that was like, a, that was really like one of the first like vitriolic things. Had a .edu email address (laughs) it was like a teacher someplace i was like dude seriously don't blame this on the kids this isn't the kids these are the breeders uh and now all the parents are gonna hate me but no anyway but i just remembered that because that was like one of those moments where i was like you know we it's so easy for us to blame again you blame it on if if you're on the internet you must be a kid or you must not be serious and so we don't take it seriously. And so the only positive thing I think at all, I mean, it's obviously terrible that, it, that this stuff is still happening, but I think it is important as a society that we see the hatefulness like exposed and that you can't ignore it. I mean, obviously, if you're a news organization like Fox, maybe you don't cover it. And I, I understand that. And maybe don't give them fire. Well, like, don't Fox give them isn't fuel. a news organization, though. Fine. Fair. <laughs> Entertainment organization, whatever. I understand not wanting to give it, uh, you know, uh, fire. But I also understand... You know, when it becomes one of those things, I almost think it's important because it's like we're saying, yeah, this is still part of America and it's an ugly part, but it's the part we we don't talk about. We try to pretend we're past, but we're not past it. We're not post-racial. The your uh, your uh, repeated uh, P sounds 
Did yes. you see? Okay, I'm jumping rails fast here. That's fine. Um, uh, did you see the Jimmy Fallon interview with uh, Bill Hader? Yes. With the uh, the cop show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the pleasant veterinary well, remember what it was, but um, they were spitting. Every time they made a pee, they they would take like a big bite of pudding and then yeah. say a, a sentence with a lot of peas in it in each other's faces. It was good. It was um, good. Because I had just gotten home from Trainwreck when I saw that. Nice. And I was completely in love with Bill Hader and, uh, and Amy Schumer. Yeah, it was a good movie. I had some issues with the pacing, as I do with most of Apatow's films. Yeah, he does. It, it, I find it, it, it seems very intentional. And it's not your typical comic pacing, but I, I sincerely, I, I don't think I stopped laughing through that entire movie. Even the serious parts were Oh, no, hilarious. it was very funny. I, by pacing, I more mean he goes too long. Like, both this film See, and... I, I heard that a lot, and I didn't... I never got to a point where I thought, oh, this should have ended. I just feel like there were certain things that could have been cut to make it more concise. Like, I think one of the things that Paul Feig, uh, who he's obviously worked a lot with, they worked together on, on Freaks and Geeks, and Paul Feig did Bridesmaids and Spy and is really great. I think Paul Feig is a lot better at basically making a movie work. And I think that with most of Apatow's films, I mean, I think that both This Is 40 and what was the one that he did with Funny People, I think both were very clear examples that they went on too long. This See, one, I Those, don't, I totally agree. This one, I don't know if it went on too long, but there were certainly aspects of it where my one criticism of it would be the story, not that it, the story even mattered, you know, because it was kind of a traditional rom-com with really yeah, funny very people. Much. Um, the story, there were, but there were times where it was clear that they just enjoyed the the riffing aspect that that Amy and Bill had together and the other cast members had that 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 they that so much of it was just kind of driven by this is so funny they're giving us so much good stuff we don't want to cut anything because they're so funny and i felt like there was certain points where it would have actually probably been better for the movie to be a little more judicious with maybe cutting maybe but like the skeleton twins did you see that one yeah i love skeleton twins with kristen wig yeah, like the the wig hater rip, riffing that was you know actually ad libbed. Yeah, that they kept in that movie. I felt like that was that was what made the movie for me. I would agree, but I feel like there was a difference in Skeleton Twins versus this. Where this, there were some moments where they had some scripted stuff, and then they right, went a little off the more rails. Formulaic overall, where, yeah, where they went off the rails, and the off the rails stuff was really funny, but they maybe kept a little bit too much of it in there. That movie had so many hilarious lines that when I left the theater, I couldn't remember any of them. <laughs> they were all bouncing around in my head. It was too much. And, and can we give it up for LeBron for real? Yes, he was so good. LeBron was so good. And I can't believe he did the movie. I can. I can. After seeing it, I can. Because I feel like he, that was something he really wanted to get out there. Yeah. That like, you know, this is LeBron James, not just basketball. I feel like that was for someone like me who does not give any any shits about basketball and yeah. really has no idea who he is. Like that was that was exactly how I would have wanted to be introduced to the personality oh, totally. of oh, a professional no, it, basketball it, it, player. No, it was genius of him because until now his, you know, his kind of uh, MO has sort of been, you know, he thinks that he's so great. He's kind of like the Kanye of basketball players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but he came across as very uh, relatable, very funny. It was perfect for him, but I'm still Even just... empathetic. Empathetic. It was just one of those things where I was just shocked that, like, I understand after the movie, you're right. Like, I understand why he did it. But I, I wonder how that pitch meeting goes where they approach him and go, 
<laughs> so we want you to be in this movie with Bill Hader and Amy Schumer. And he's like, who? Like, they're like, these these white people, they're funny, trust us. They're, he's like, what, for real? <laughs> you know, what? why do I care? He's like, no, you don't understand. It's going to be great. Was her first boyfriend that looked like a bull, uh, was he, um, and I mean the animal, not any kind of sexual euphemism, uh, he looked like a bull. Was he a WWE guy? Yeah, that was John Cena, I believe. Yeah. That was frighteningly muscular buttocks. Yeah. Really did look like a bull when he was on all fours. Anyway, let's, I'm just going to skip that right now because uh, I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone. So good, though. Um, I, I have, a, I I have really watched funny. so many movies this week. Crazy number of movies. Um, the, have you seen what we did on our holiday? I have not. It's, uh, it's about some Londoners in Scotland, and it is heart heartwarming and touching and very, very funny. And Oh, and I Rosamund Pike's in it. Was, I'm looking at this. This is great. Yeah, and I don't think it hit a lot of people's radar, but I want everyone to see it. It's a family movie. Like, you could totally watch it with kids if they were, you know, of a certain level of intelligence anyway and could understand thick brogues. But, um... It, th- this isn't a spoiler. It's it's a mild spoiler, but there's a part. Um, actually, the crux of the movie is the grandfather dies, and the kids re- respect his wishes in the absence of any adult supervision or any reachable adults. They decide to respect his recently stated wishes, put him on a raft, and light it on fire, and put it out to sea. And this was exactly what, by that point in the movie, that's what you wanted them to do because the granddad was very, he was fun, he was happy, and he had clearly stated that that was all he wanted to happen. And it's made me start thinking, like I've always said that I want to be cremated. I want to, if I have, a, if I have to have a funeral, I want it to be a party. I want people to enjoy it. You know, and not, I don't want any prayers or services or anything like that. And this movie kind of exemplified that for me. The guy just skipped his own birthday party and then his own funeral. Just bypassed the whole thing, and I loved it. That's awesome. No, that looks really good. I love Rosamund Pike. I really like her a lot. Yeah, and she was good. And Billy Connolly, I like him too. Oh, and David Tennant, my favorite doctor. <laughs> So do you want to be buried or cremated or something else? I don't really care. Um, I mean, I guess cremated, I guess. See, I do care because like the whole embalming coffin thing, not only like ecologically bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that's that whole thing. I mean, memory wise, it's bizarre. I don't know. I don't really care. I mean, I want to be destroyed. I want to be imploded. You know what I would like? I would like a headstone without a coffin. I could I could live with that. I would like to be. Uh, like a tree to be planted in my organ, not burnt. Cause I mean, once you burn something, it's kind of not right. Um, necessarily uh growable soil, but if you just let me like decompose without a coffin and then plant something that can grow from <laughs> my decomposing remains. Oh uh, yeah. I think about these things often. It's weird. Every time I'm hiking and I find like a, a deer carcass, <laughs> Uh, ravaged by whatever coyotes were around, I started thinking about, you know, that's actually within a year that deer will be, you know, of no consequence. We'll find its rackling, maybe a a rib or two, but I kind of, that's how I want to go. Just leave me in a forest. You know, bury me under some leaves, maybe, but let the coyotes have at me. 
I guess I don't like bodies much. I've always wanted to upload my brain into some kind of electronic form. Yeah. And just have everyone just uh, bodies are such a pain in the ass. They really are. Like we should just yeah. Uh, that okay, so maybe I want to be cryogenically frozen and then they could like bring me back or something. <laughs> no, I actually don't care. I could live with that. Just freeze my head and find a way to connect my brain to a virtual world. Yes, I want I want avatar is what I want. Like I I I want my brain to live forever. I enjoy existing and learning and loving. Same. I just I don't I don't want my body to have to weigh me down after you know i'm 80 90 120 exactly saying like people are going to live there are already people alive that will probably live to 150 yeah that's a long time for a body to decay it really is i mean because our our joints and our whole evolution still hasn't caught up that way like maybe like medicine has but like you know our bodies themselves our joints and yeah and our bones cellular (laughs) cellular decay still happens exactly or does it uh, no, it does, but maybe we can come up with a... With we could probably find a way that. to arrest or slow it. Well, speaking to people who have slowed cellular <laughs> decay, Paul Rudd. What? He hasn't aged. Oh, this is true. He, like, has this not aged. True. We've talked about this before, I think. There's this fantastic vulture quiz that, like, asks you to, like, pick, like young Paul Rudd, like, 1995 or, like, 2005 or, like, or, or 2015. And, like, he looks younger now than he did 20 years ago when Clueless came out. And I don't know why, because it doesn't seem like he's had work done. No, if I don't he, think he if has. If he has, he has like a plastic surgeon, everyone should go to that plastic I surgeon. I agree completely. He's got like the Demi Moore, like, like Demi Moore's plastic surgery was, was aces. If he's had it, like everybody should go. No, you're right. But he's like <laughs> even more than a Rob Lowe, because like Rob Lowe is one of those guys who just does not age. Like they well, literally have to like put gray hair in him. He got the crow's feet, but they were, they looked good on him. They looked, he, if anything, he kind of needed them because you're like, dude, you're in your fifties. Like you kind of need, <laughs> it's weird that you look like you're in your thirties. It really is bizarre that you still look the same. Um, but you know, but he's like one of those guys who just like doesn't age. But, um, but, but Paul Rudd is definitely one of those guys that doesn't age. And, uh, so I don't know, like maybe we should just bottle up whatever the hell is in his body and, uh, and sell it. I mean, I think scientists could make millions. But we bring this up because today, as we record this, in addition to being Brett's birthday, which is the most important thing, I, I, I want to make that very clear. Your birthday is more important than this. But this is also very important. Here's the 20th anniversary of a little movie that I've talked about countless times on this podcast called Clueless. I, uh, it, it's on Netflix now. It is. And I, I watched it in preparation for this day. Yes. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it multiple times before, but I had to have it fresher in my mind. And it, it stands the test of time. It holds up. I mean, even the, the pop culture references that like you and I will still remember, but that today's kids will have no clue what it is. You still understand like they're either throwaway enough that it's OK or it's just you, you, you get where they're coming from. It's funny. I have to uh, jump back for one second yes. to say that the funniest line in Trainwreck to me was the War Games reference yes. during the intervention. Yes, and me and the three people I was with were the only people in the theater that just doubled over laughing, and everyone else was just you know, like chuckling, like they understood, but I don't think they did. No, I don't think they got it. Anyway, they were like, they were when like, people see that, they will they will know what I'm talking about if they're our age. Yeah, or, or they've ever watched War Games. I mean, which <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was 
too young for war games when it came out, but I, I watched it, you know, um, in, in the early mid nineties, you know, on, on TBS and stuff. And, and I loved it. It's yeah. also on Netflix. No, but, but, uh, no, Lewis Holt. It actually jumped up in rankings on Netflix really fast. I think, I think people went and looked for uh, war games after seeing it. But I anyway, Clueless, yes. Yeah, no, Clueless. But Clueless, Clueless is awesome. And it holds up. It, like, it holds the hell up. Like, it's just, it's one of those perfect kind of stories. And it's funny. And the music was good. And the language was on point. And it has become a weird, like, colloquial part of the pop culture fabric. Like, so many things in that movie, like, kind of became pat, you know? And I've made this argument before that I believe that. Um, and I saw, uh, I think we talked about this. I saw Amy Heckerling with, um, this woman who wrote the, the oral history of Clueless, um, at a bookstore a couple of weeks ago. And, um, they were, they were mentioning this and, and I, I've spoken about this before where, you know, the whole teen movie kind of like Renaissance happened. And I argued this actually in a college paper, a a term long paper I did on Clueless. I basically argued that like Clueless was responsible for the entire like late nineties renaissance of teen films which really in honest in all honesty really didn't kick up again for another year and a half or so scream came out at, at the end of 96 and that really is what kick-started the whole wb kind of revolution of stuff but clueless was the first one that kind of showed that you could make those sorts of movies um successful again and did it really well so clueless and scream are kind of the the four the godfathers of kind of the the late 90s teen you know, explosion of, of, of films, you know, you're See, for me though, clueless did an impeccable job of being unabashedly upper class yes. white culture. Yes. And still making fun of itself. Yes. Because it knew without, who it was right. But without going like overboard slapstick, we're so white. Like no. they, it was just like a precise look at the a way that she culture. thought. Yes. And and that's and <laughs> ridiculous I, at the same time. Completely. And I think that's why whether you were upper middle class white America or not, you can relate to it. That's why so everybody loves Clueless. Like it, it literally is one of those movies that everybody loves for because that reason. Because you can choose to relate or hate. Exactly. And even <laughs> when you hate, you kind of you're like, OK, well, at least they know how ridiculous they are. Right. They're playing right into it. So, yeah, right. you have to love it then. You, exactly. And I mean, one of the interesting things uh, that Amy Heckerling said at the uh, the book thing and and i noticed this was that you know one of the big criticisms that a lot of people at beverly you know um who lived in the beverly hills area and who went to beverly hills high school had against 90210 was that 90210 did not actually reflect the um i guess the the uh the demographic breakdown of the people who actually went to that high school it was all white people and the reality is that a lot of people who go to beverly hills high school are persian you have a lot of people who are, you know, um, not white, but are still upper class. Yeah. And Beverly Hills 90210 never had that at all. Whereas Clueless, that was one of the things they told her when she went to the high school and spent time with them. And she spent time with the real Mr. Hall, who ended up becoming the namesake for, for the character in the movie, um, where they said, you've got to make sure that you've got, you know, look at how we look. You've got to make sure that that's reflected there. And so, you know, granted, it is a very upper class, you know, like look, and it is very much white centric, although there are non-white people, but they're all part of the same economic social class. You know, when she t- makes the, the throwaway kind of line about the Persian mafia, you can't sit there unless you have a BMW. <laughs> that's like a real reflection of people who go and live in that world. 
And I thought that was really interesting and probably something that is a subtle thing that you wouldn't think adds to the realism, but probably for anybody who's uh, who was from that area, probably I think that's why most of them looked at um, Clueless and didn't deride it, didn't hate it, um, as opposed to looking at 90210 and being like, this doesn't reflect who we are. I, I hated 90210. I, I don't know if I've ever told you that. I feel like it would drive a wedge between um, us. You know, but... it's okay. I love 90210, but the fact <laughs> you may have you detected it, that. I, I did detect that, and that's okay. I love it, but it's fine that you hated it. That's fine. Well, and see, that's what's weird to me about Clueless is I hated everything else that was in that genre that came later. It's very punk. It's a very punk movie in a lot of ways. It's well, it's a very un. I don't know. Like you, like I said, like if you were part of it, you could laugh at yourself. If you despise those people as you know a high school punk rocker, yeah, you could look at it as look at how awful these people are and laugh at it, right? And it felt like it worked either way. It did. It's it's the Taylor Swift of movies. Exactly. It's the one you're allowed to like. Exactly. It's the Motorhead of metal. It's the Motorhead All of metal. All punks can like Motorhead. Right. Because it just exactly no, it, 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 but that's what I mean. It's not punk in its in its you know punkness because obviously it's the most white bread sort of movie out there. But there is something kind of punk about the fact the, that it's the, going the, against uh, the grain. The attitude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going against the grain, and the fact that Amy Heckerling was kind of a punk and kind of you know doing her own thing. The fact that you know Fox passed on it. They had a hard time kind of getting it made. You know, people didn't yeah. think that it would do that well, and then it was this huge hit. I mean, I think by the time Paramount was ready to release it, they knew that it was tracking to be huge because I remember. The, the lead up to it, I saw it opening day. It opened on a Wednesday. And I remember going to the movie theater with my mom. We were in Jacksonville, Florida, visiting her family. And I had read all the reviews that had come out and over the weekend about it and, and in the paper that day. And there had been a big, you know, um, movie premiere that MTV did on the beach with the VJs and stuff. And I was very, very excited about the movie because I was a huge fan of Lucia Silverstone. I loved her in the Aerosmith videos. Like, that's how I knew her. I even watched The Crush, which was a terrible movie she did with uh, Carrie Yules, where she, like, is obsessed with her teacher or something. It I was, thought she was hot enough that I didn't hate that movie. Yeah. I had a big crush on her at that point. I had a crush on her, too. It, it was like, a, it was, I think she was one of my first, like, female, like, crushes. Like, I, like, seriously crushed on her. Like, I wanted to be her. Like, I thought she was just so beautiful. It's actually, and I'll throw this in as an, as a, as an aside. It's her slightly crooked smile that I think set what I consider, uh, well, the way I see facial attractiveness, crooked smiles and and uh, small noses are mm. like top on. They're the first things I notice, and I didn't realize this until now. But then going back and watching Clueless, I'm like, that's where it all started, right there. That's really funny. Yeah. Anyway. No, but I mean, no, yeah. So I mean, there's just you know, it, they they didn't. I think by the time it came out, they knew and they'd had enough promotional stuff. They knew it was going to do well, but they were still surprised by how well it did, uh, because it was a, a you know, I mean, it was a the the star is a. a you know, a, a teenager, a blonde teenager who's who can't say Hadians correctly. She can't she can't say Haitians correctly. <laughs> um, everybody, I'm sure, has heard this anecdote by now. But the, the, the real story behind that is that Alicia Silverstone did not know how to say Haitians. So she actually <laughs> said it. And, and Amy Heckerling made a point for no one to correct her because she didn't want her to know that she was saying it wrong. She wanted her to have that forthright, like, like, I know what I'm talking about thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, which just made it so much better. And that's it. And I'll, I'll admit this. As a 12-year-old, I did not know that she was saying Hadians incorrectly. <laughs> I was much, much older. I was, like, deep into high school when I realized it was Haitians. And I went and I finally, I started laughing. I was like, oh, I finally get the joke. Okay, that's funny. Yes. 
I, I feel like uh, Hessians and Haitians are too close anyway, so we should probably pronounce one of them differently. Yeah, I think Hadians, uh, Hadians works. And, and that's the thing, for, for now and forever, if you say that, it's like, you know, as if whatever, you're a virgin who can't drive. I mean, there's so many lines from that movie that have just like... Oh, are... her attempt to run the pledge drive thing? Or yes. the, like, the donate... That was, to me, the most telling part when she's like donating skis to, yes. you know, disaster victims. I, like, I don't think they need their brilliant. skis. They're like... They lost everything. I think that includes athletic wear. <laughs> and, 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 and then, you know, even the stuff like when Travis is like donating his bong and she's like <laughs> kitchenware and he's like, that's where I used to keep it. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where like you as like, again, it's a 12 year old. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> I was way old when I realized I was like, oh, that's a bong. Gotcha. OK. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was cleverly done. Well executed. I think a lot of movies overestimate their box office appeal. And I think the the ones that underestimate it and then end up with a much larger hit on their hands than planned yeah. are the ones that end up being the most lovable in the end. I totally. mean, Chappie, a lot of people thought Chappie was going to do really well. Yeah. It did not. No, it didn't. Not at all. No, it didn't. It, it kind of it kind of burned. Um, another one that's similar to, to uh, Clueless, it's also recently was added to Netflix, which is why I mentioned this, was uh, Legally Blonde. Yes, I, I, I did I enjoy that movie as well. And it did have the same kind of charm to it. And, and I, I originally saw that in the theater. And again, this was one of those where no one was expecting that to do well. Um, it made its, its um, budget back its opening weekend and no one expected it to do well because it opened up against that was the summer of Pearl Harbor and Shrek and a bunch of other things. And I saw it, I think, I think I saw it its opening weekend and I wanted to see it because it looked like Clueless Goes to College, which is basically yeah. what it was. Yeah. And and I love Reese Witherspoon anyway. And she was great in that. And um, that was one of those movies where, again, like no one expected it to do well. Now, the sequel, let's not even talk about it. They never should have made it. But um, and I think that that's Clueless was really smart not to do a sequel. They did do a TV show, which was not great. But I mean, I understand that, you know, like it's everybody knew that Alicia wouldn't do it. Most of the other cast signed on. It's fine. Um, but yeah, Legally Blonde also held, holds up. And, and that was one of the ones uh, uh, which, um, what's his face? Um, You're going to lose me on these details. No, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he was in the Royal Tenenbaums. He's, we, you know who I'm talking about. I know all the people in Royal Tenenbaums. Bill Murray? No. One of the <laughs> oh. brothers, uh, Luke Wilson. Oh, Luke, Luke, okay, Wilson's, yeah. No, that was like one of Luke Wilson's like first kind of like roles. What? Well, okay, so, um, no, I, I blanked on her name. Uh, the, from Legally Blonde, the girl Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Did you see her earliest Man on the indie? Moon? No, it was a highway. She was like a it lost was a, highway. No. Oh, that was, was uh, 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 yeah. That was uh, that was Lynch. No, I know what you're talking about. It was the one that was like the it was it was like um Little Red Riding like, Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find it because that was that was the first time I ever saw her, and I absolutely loved that movie. I actually owned it on VHS Freeway. for a long time. Freeway, yeah, yeah. No, that was a good movie. No, I first saw her, what I think was her first movie, and it was called Man on the Moon, and it's not the Jim Carrey movie. Um, and she was like 13 or 14 in it, and she was um, kind of played this 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 ingenue kind of girl kind of coming of age story where she's in love with this boy and her sister is too and he's obviously in love with the sister because they're both the same age and kind of this you know growing up in the south kind of story and it was really good my sister my older sister rented it and I remember watching it and being like this girl 
is fantastic. <laughs> like she was so good. And it's funny because Amy Heckerling said that one of the people she read, they knew that Alicia is who they wanted for Clueless. Uh, but they did read Reese, but they did read, or no, Reese wouldn't read, but she met with Reese and she said that Reese would have been good in the movie and she would have been great. I mean, honestly, the only other person I think who could have been in that movie would have been Reese Witherspoon in Clueless. I think Alicia Silverstone was far and away the best person, but, um, yeah. Um, uh, the man in the moon. Yeah. She played this character, Danny, and it came out in 1991 and I probably saw it in 92 and it was, um, it was really, really good. Um, but yeah, no, she's a good actress. Freeway was a good movie. The, 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 uh, what was the movie, uh, with, uh, with Mark Wahlberg that made Marky Mark into a real actor. The one that was the opposite of crush. Yeah. Heat. heat? I don't remember now. I, I, it actually came up when, when my wife and I were talking about the kind of timeline there, but now I've forgotten the name of it, but yeah, it was kind of, it was the, uh, the transition from, uh, Fear. kind of backstreet boy yeah fear. fear yeah yeah when 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 they have the oral sex scene on the roller coaster um <laughs> which everybody always remembers Do um, you? did i ever ask you um no you finish what you're talking about because i'm about to derail again no let's derail because i'm done i mean and i'm done but clueless watch it on netflix watch uh, legally blonde both uh, reese witherspoon and alicia silverstone are great actresses one of them has an oscar granted but uh, uh alicia silverstone and her son bear I kind of love that she named her kid Bear. She's like gone all vegan and hippy dippy, and that's <laughs> See, good for her. I, I think that I lost I lost interest when she became overly. Uh, she be, she became a proselytizing vegan. Yeah, she I have like, no problem with vegans. I no, respect she's she's so proselytizing. Decision. Right? No, she's like hardcore. Like it, it's yeah. It, I kind of love it about her though. But yeah, you're right. But yeah, any of my friends who do that, I do the same thing. I, I lose interest in them. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, though, uh, along with this like early movie thing, did I ever ask you about who shot Pat? No. Sandra Bullock's very first movie. I think we've mentioned this before, but I've never seen it. You should, you should go look it up. It's hilariously bad. but um, And the plot is, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. They, they, this guy shoots himself in the leg with a homemade zip gun. Amazing. But then claims that a rival gang did it to him. And the whole movie is them trying to figure out who shot this guy when he actually shot himself in the leg. And that's pretty much the story. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, I it's, remember. It's worth seeing if you want to know where she came from. Yeah, no, she was in this movie called uh, she had a very, very, very small role. There was this movie called The Preppy Murder, which was about the, the case, of the same name where this uh, this girl yeah. Was uh, this this uh, preppy guy, uh, Robert Chambers, who was very, here's the irony in this, he was extremely good looking, and uh, either rough sex gone wrong, so he got mad, and he ended up killing this girl who he'd kind of had, like, they were friends, and they had kind of a sexual relationship, and um, he ended up, you know, only going to jail for 10 years because of, I guess, however the bargain, you know, whatever the, the however the system worked, he he's now back in jail because he's had a consistent drug problem his whole life this was interesting because um adam baldwin played him not adam baldwin um one of the uh, uh, uh william baldwin played him the religious one i don't no. remember which one's william. no no william is 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 uh, the one who was in the movie with um uh cindy crawford um he's the one who looks the most like alec who's not danny he's like the one you never <laughs> hear he's, he's the one who's married to china phillips okay He's the one who's married to China Phillips. I didn't know Cindy Phillips. Crawford was in a movie, so I'm, I'm out terrible. of this It was terrible. It was terrible. It's called Fair Game, and it was really, really terrible. Anyway, <laughs> um, he played Robert Chambers in this movie, and um, 
uh, Lara Flynn Boyle played Jennifer Levin. Lara Flynn Boyle was actually cast really well for that role because she looks similar to her and, and, and whatnot. This is like 1989. The weird thing was is that Robert Chambers, the real guy, significantly better looking than William Baldwin, <laughs> which you never see. But it's one of those weird cases where like the, the guy, I mean, look, he did a terrible thing and I'm not defending that at all. I'm seriously saying he was significantly better looking than the guy they got to play him because he was so good looking. Honestly, I think that Rob Lowe would have been like Rob Lowe in 1989 could have been the only guy who would have been like good looking enough to, <laughs> to play him. Anyway, she had like a one line, one or two line role in that movie. And I found that out because of TiVo years, years and years ago. <laughs> and it was really funny to see a very young Sandra Bullock as like a background player in one of those like movie of the week things. So yeah. th that's that's the first Sandy Bullock I remember seeing. But I'll have to look at who shot Pat. Okay, so now that we're short on time, there are, I did want to go back to our. We were talking about pacing. Yes. And then I saw two movies in a row that used really interesting pacing, and that was Slow West and It Follows. Did you see It Follows? I did see It Follows. It was the first horror movie I have wanted to watch since the first Saw. Like, I've had this long drought where I just didn't want to see horror movies, but It Follows looks so interesting, and it does this amazing, slow-paced, slightly suspenseful, and the, all of the props range from, like, 1950s TVs up yep. to, like, 1990s, or like, or even 2000s, uh, like, e-readers, and you don't know wh when or where you are until you realize it's Detroit, which then things start to make sense, but... Um, but it also does not go on too long in that it just ends all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> My wife and I just both looked at each other and we're like, what the hell just happened? It like, just ends. It was weird. I don't know how much I liked it. I wanted to like it more than I think I did. I liked, I liked it artistically. It. I liked it artistically. That's, that's Story wise, I didn't. I didn't, yeah, it wasn't really didn't uh, impacted by it. What I loved about it, and this kind of goes to the artistic thing, if you look up its movie poster, its movie poster was amazing. I need, there were actually, I'll look that up, but there were also some of the posters on the walls and stuff. Yeah. Seemed like they needed to be Googled because they weren't all what they appeared to be. There were a lot of little references, like watching Plan 9 on 1950s TVs while reading The Idiot on an e-reader. Like those little touches, like for anyone who, who knows, you know, those movies and those books, they, they were, they were indicative of the goal of uh, the artistic goal of the movie. But then Slow West, did you see that? No, I haven't seen Slow West. It's another like kind of plotting, like the pacing of the movie is very one step at a time, but it, it's excellent. It, it has a story that, that was, is memorable. I very much I, I would recommend I won't go into detail because we're at time but yeah I also in this week of uh, adjusting to my medications uh, watch the entire eastbound and down yes and I still feel dirty about it because it, it's it's a show about horrible people it is doing horrible things I kind of love it I, I did. I, by the time I got to the end, it, it, like the last season was all about redemption. Yeah. And I feel like it, it actually resolved in a way that I could feel good about. So I'm glad I got through the end and didn't just give up after season one and think, God, he's horrible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, the thing is, it's interesting because they, while not explicitly based on John Rocker, that's basically who he's based on. And uh, it's nice that, that, that at the end, like, you know, 
Kenny Powers kind of gets redemption, but John Rucker never will, which <laughs> which makes as an Atlantan makes me quite happy. I uh, the whole time he reminded me of the lead singer from my last band, and and reminded me of the reason why I was so glad I got kicked out of that band. Hmm. And Wayward Pines. I'm all caught up on Wayward Pines, and I'm absolutely loving it. It took me forever to get started, but then I watched the whole all nine episodes, so I'm just waiting on the tenth episode to resolve this story. But have you seen that at all? No, I haven't, but I'll have to it, check it out. It's got a very kind of like cleaned up uh, Twin Peaks kind of thing, but yeah, I've less heard that. abstract, I guess. Okay. But it's not what you think it is when you start. Things Things turn about episode three and get... Really weird. Really fun. It's kind of like it's kind of like watching Lost where you just like they leave questions and I actually am gonna go back and watch Lost soon. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why, because I know how I how much I did not like the end. The end was terrible, but, <laughs> but getting, it's worth there getting there was so much fun. Getting there was so much fun. <laughs> I, I've often thought about this like in kind of the age of social TV, which as a concept is kind of dr- drawn off. Like, what it would be like if Lost were released today. A, I think that it'd be fun. They could do some really cool interactive TV elements and some things where you could, like, really use, like, you know, people watching together to unlock things. But B, I wonder in the age of streaming, since social TV as a concept sort of died off, if it would resonate the same way. Because so much of Lost was, like, the summers leading to the next thing and with, like, yeah. everybody, like, talking about it every week, you know? Well, yeah, and the, the, the week between, you know, indecipherable episodes... And everyone scratching their head and then having conversations yes. and anxiously waiting for questions to be answered that never will be. It never will be because JJ <laughs> didn't know what he was doing. Can we just say that? He claims, oh, we knew what the end was at the beginning. No, you didn't. No, that was a deus ex machina. They just basically said, we give up. It was all a dream. You're all you're all in heaven now. Yeah, basically he did what he always does, which was he redoes the Felicity ending. We've had this conversation before where he just redoes what he does with his first show, Felicity. He just keeps redoing that ending, which is fine. I love you, JJ. That's okay. But like anyway. Anyway. Um in in as a closing statement, I would like to offer my sincerest condolences to Nick Cave, who lost his son this week. Oh wow. He fell off a cliff. And uh, Nick Cave is one of, he's a very meaningful person in my, uh, my, he, he helped shape my young mind and I continue to be a huge fan. Last time I saw him, I actually cried at the concert, which is weird for me. I love, um, I love the Bad Seeds. Yes. Um, and, and the birthday party yeah. and Grinder Man and everything he's done. I've just loved. He's just such a tortured, but eloquent person. And, and now he's. That's one of the worst losses I could imagine someone going through. I can't even imagine. That's terrible. Yeah, seriously. So. Like, he'll never hear this, but we just want to put it out in the universe. <laughs> yes, that's. I want everyone to be aware of Nick Cave and then understand that loss. It's important. Go see, uh, was it 20,000 20, 20, days? What yeah, 20,000 days on Earth. Yeah, that, that was, was really good. Really good. If you if you don't know who Nick Cave is, or if you are madly in love with Nick Cave, either way, go rent Twenty Thousand Days on Earth. Yeah, and that was done by uh, by Draft House Films, which is uh, part of the Alamo Draft House. Um, that means like nothing. It. I don't know what the Alamo Draft House is. It's an awesome movie theater chain based out of Austin, Texas. Um, although they're going to other cities too, that is basically like the best movie theater chain you can imagine. But they also um, do cool indie films and cool documentaries and stuff. I haven't cool. seen it yet, but I'm dying to see Amy, um, the documentary. Yeah. 
um, Cinna, the guy who directed Cinna, directed it. And uh, Cinna was one of the best, um, whatchamacallit, um, documentaries I've seen in the last 10 years or so. Asif Capita. Uh, nice. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's about a Formula One driver who I never knew anything about until I watched Cinna. And then I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. I would enjoy that. Yeah, it, it, the, I would. I don't like NASCAR, but Formula One is fun. Yeah, no, and the thing about Cinna is that, um, it, as with Amy, is that the entire story is told with footage of the um, parties, um, the subjects. So, <laughs> what's meaning? He does interviews and voiceovers with people who knew the the, the individuals, but yeah. you never have the cut to the talking head, and yeah. you never have like the recreations. Instead, the entire story is shown through footage of their life. So nice. with Senna, what was really fascinating was that he was a Brazilian F- Formula One driver, and he grew up in a um, very, I guess, well-to-do family for, for Brazil. And even though he died in 1996, um, he um, had an en- there was enormous, uh, or 1994, there was an, an enormous amount of video footage of his life and interviews with him and, and other things. And so, so much of the story is told through Senna himself. And then you have, you know, like, overlooking like home movies and stuff you know you, you'll hear his sister or his father or his old you know teammates and people talking and it's it's really fascinating because you see the subject the entire time and apparently he did the same thing with amy where you're not cutting to you know talking head interviews with you know her ex-husband her family or you know people who knew her you're seeing her interviews you're seeing her performances you're seeing her home movies you're hearing her speak and so a lot of the story itself is told that way, which I think um, it's it's a really great technique for documentary filmmaking. Um, at least with Cinna, it, it it was incredible to see, and I can't. I think with with Amy even more so. Like that, so much of the story is is being told through her voice will make it that much better. It's actually on my list, so we can talk about that. We can and talk I'm about gonna it. Watch uh, Ex Machina this week too. Yes, that's really good. We can talk about that. We'll talk about that. All right. Well, uh, and we can talk about whatever Trump does next. Seriously, my, my, <laughs> my, my, my one comment I will make on this, I have to give it up to the Huffington Post. They are not going to be covering yes. him under politics. Entertainment. They're, I think that's so genius. I it was is. like, I love them for that. But I do not think, I think after his McCain comment yesterday. Oh, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. I think the Republican Party will tear him apart. He'll never make it past primary, which is probably best for the country. Well, it is. And he never would have made it past primary anyway. I mean, he never would have gotten there. But I think he um, sped up the process in which the the GOP money machine, I think, was resolute to let him just kind of spend his money and spin his wheels. And they were like, we'll ignore you. Once he made the John McCain comments, they went, no, we're actually going to put money towards making sure that you're dead. (laughs) Time's up. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to my birthday. Yeah, you go back to your birthday. And, uh, and whatever I'm, it is I decide to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to weed. I'm going to go weed in the garden. That sounds fun. It's going to be a blast. Sounds good. All and right. I'm going to get some sleep. Well, have a great birthday, Brett. And you get some sleep. I'll get some sleep, too. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. This system is going down low.